Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Ruben Romero, a writer at and founding member of the production company Think Alike Productions, a company that will be present at the 2015 New York Comic Con. Ruben was pointed in the direction of autographs by previous guest Bob Sally, who was also a part of Think Alike Productions. Touching upon Ruben's role in the creation of Think Alike, Matt also pries into his creative origins as a writer, his past pursuits as a rapper, and some background on the two comics he is currently writing, The Agency and Pray for Angels. Embroiled in discussions on story arc, they also have a nice long tangent on the influence of Star Wars and their mutual excitement for The Force Awakens. So without further ado, here's presenting Matt Storm and Ruben Romero. And welcome to another episode of Crash Chords Autographs. My guest today is Ruben Romero from Think Like Productions. Um, he is a writer and co-creator for a few different comic books. Um, and our connection point, if I remember correctly, is Bob Sally, correct? Yep. So um, is uh, Bob Sally someone you've worked with before? You guys both worked at Thinkalike, correct? Yeah. Um, he was actually, you know, doing his thing as an independent creator. Um, and I saw him, you know, marketing on Facebook and, and uh, putting salvagers out there and trying to, you know, create a buzz, which he does very well. Um, mm-hmm. learned a lot from him and, um, and, you know, I, I, I asked him, you know, if I could take a look at the book and sure enough, he, he, uh, sent me over a, a PDF of issues one and two and, and I immediately became a fan of, uh, of not only Salvagers, uh, as a universe, but, but of his writing, uh, I thought that, you know, the characters were well developed and, and, uh, and were well written and, uh, and I took a shot in the dark and I asked him, I said, Hey, look, you know, we're starting up our own publishing company. And, um, you know, we're starting off small with digital releases on Comixology. Uh, we've been able to, to develop a, rela- a relationship with Comixology. Uh, and he was like, man, you know, I've been trying for a long time to get my books on there. He was like, you know, let's talk more. So, you know, over the next few months, we, we developed a, a friendship. And I think he began to trust me and, and see me as somebody who, who had a, a drive and, and, a, and a passion for, for the world of comic books and, and for independent creators. And, uh, and sure enough, he, he finally came on board, and, uh, and yeah, now he's team thinking. Like. That's that's fantastic. That's really awesome. And so I want to thank you for sharing your books with me, um, Pray for Angels and um, The Agency, both yep. really great books. The animation is sharp, crisp, and, and beautiful, and the writing is fantastic. Um, now, I, I took a little bit of a look at the website, I think alike, and so there are multiple people working on multiple books at every, every moment. Where did the idea for both um, – I guess let's start with The Agency first. Mm-hmm. Where did the uh, the idea for that comic come from? Um, really, it was just you know between me and uh, my best friend and, and my wife, we um, we were just you know big fans of comic books, and uh, me and my brother, my, my best friend who I call my brother uh, Roger mm-hmm. Cabrera, was uh, we had just finished uh, submitting a, a spec script for a zombie movie that we had uh, that we had written <clears throat> to a competition for Amazon. And mm-hmm. we got a ton of great feedback from people, and people were like, "Oh, this is." Awesome. And it was funny because it's the first time I had ever written a script, so I had no idea 
what we were, you know, what we were doing was just a shot in the dark. I, I downloaded some, some scripts off the internet and I just copied the format and I was like, okay, this is, this is how you do this, this is how you do that. Um, and you know, we wrote a, I think it was like a 120 page script. It was way too long for one of those kinds of movies, but, <laughs> but regardless, people, you know, they found it funny and they found it exciting and they said, man, this would be an awesome movie, but we never won the competition. Um, but it left us with this writing bug. And, uh, and we thought, okay, well, you know, let's, let's write something else. And, uh, Roger was like, look, he was like, if we're going to do it, I want to do something that either A, we can shoot or, or B, something that we can, you know, see come to life. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I had just started reading The Walking Dead again. Uh, and The Walking Dead brought me back into comic books. I was heavy into comic books when I was in, in middle school, kind of went away from it in high school. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, The Walking Dead caught my attention one day at Barnes and Noble and I was like, let me pick this up. And I started reading it and, and fell in love with comic books again and, and started collecting. Uh, and I was like, why don't, you know, why don't we do a comic book? And he was like, all right, what, what do you want to do a comic book about? And, uh, and we knew we didn't want to do superheroes or anything like that. Sure. Um, so, so we struggled with, with content and what we wanted to, to bring to the world of comic books. And, um, and one night, you know, I was washing dishes and he was like, Hey, he was like, have you ever heard of a mage? You know, you know what a mage is? And I was like, I was like, no, I don't. And he was like, all right, a mage is, is, is somebody who can who can create magic without like a wand or or a magical talisman? You know the magic like lives within them. And I was like, okay, so kind kind of like a mutant power. And he was like, yeah, but but just strictly magic. And I was like, okay. Um. So you know the gear started to turn and and I started thinking, well, you know, what about if there was a government agency? What if magic was was well known? Because usually, you know, in, in you know the Dresden Files, Harry Potter all of those kinds of worlds, magical worlds, magic is only known to the people who can do magic. Uh, right. Everybody else is kind of in the dark. Um, so I thought, well, what if the world knows, you know, knew about magic? What if the world was, was aware that magic existed and that there were people walking out and about with magical powers? Um, and what if, you know, people were using magic? Uh, what if there were dark mages, you know, using magic uh, in, in the wrong way? How would our government respond to that? Um, so I, you know, I've always loved uh, spy thrillers, uh, Bond, uh, you know, all those kinds of things. So I said, you know what? I was like, what if we do like a Mission Impossible type of situation where there's a clandestine organization that is built upon mages protecting the world from other mages? And, uh, and you know, we started to, to sit down and, and kind of, you know, flesh this thing out. And, uh, and little by little, the characters started to come and, and uh and my wife came in with this great idea for for the main character and how he would be the window into the world and how he would kind of factor in and uh and and yeah we started writing and started looking into artists and little by little the the book started to come together i think it's really an interesting take on something that you know i mean magic's in a lot of places i mean you just named movies and books that it are well known now um, but you're right. It is always kind of like a hidden thing. So this idea of an agency that's run by the government that's kind of that and to manage magic in this world where it exists is really interesting. What I like about the start of the the first book, the first uh, issue, is that it starts and what, reading it, you feel like you're in one of those spy novels. Like it starts mid scene with someone talking over a radio, a car pulling up, a guy walking through a building, and it's like oh, okay, so something's going on here. It's a thriller, but I wonder what this is all about. And then, like, you know, within pages, there's some evil guy appearing in the middle of a room. It's a scene that you could see in another spy movie 
but you threw magic and magic and mages into it, and it kind of gave right. it this new take, which I think is really great. Well, that's what we were going for. I mean, we, you know, I've always loved how in Mission Impossible the way you know you're 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 in a, like a, a fancy party and everybody's in tuxedos and and there's like this you know one guy who's walking around the room and he takes a glass of champagne and takes it into the bathroom and he throws the champagne in the sink and he goes into the stall and he takes off his mask and it's Ethan Hunt you know and all yeah. of a sudden you're you're just you're thrown in it you know um and, or or kind of like you know the way Bond movies start with with like it, it just seems like nothing's really going on, and then all of a sudden you're in a car chase or he's paragliding mm-hmm. off of, like, some huge building. So I knew from, you know, just being a fan and, and somebody who studies film and, and comic books and things like that, you want to be able to draw somebody in within the first few pages because sure. if not, they're not coming back, you know, right. and, and, and especially with indie comic books. You know, you might forgive a bad Batman comic book or a bad Spider-Man <laughs> comic book and, and invest your money in, in another take or or the next issue, but you're not going to do it with an independent creator. You're not going to do it with an independent comic book. Um, the numbers are there; they don't lie. So either either you bring them in or you don't. And uh, and we knew that we had to go big or go home with with uh, with the first issue. Uh, so that's why we chose to open it that way, as opposed to you know drawing it out and making it this long narrative to where you have to get to issue three or four to to get a fight scene or to get some sort of magic revealed or something like that, just because we're trying to establish the characters. So we tried to, to do, you know, those things and, and establish character and give you information through the, you know, through, through action and through, and through just, you know, dialogue um, and you getting to know the characters throughout the issue. Well, it seems like that's kind of also a thing you guys like to do in your comics in general. I mean, even pray for angels, like you don't start with a long narrative. You start, with a, a, a very intense scene within the first couple of pages. There's death mm-hmm. within the first couple of pages. And I think like things like that really bring in the reader because you want to know what the hell is going on. It's why I always <laughs> feel like Doctor Who as a TV show has been very successful because when you watch an episode, most of them are built in a way that mm-hmm. you don't quite know what's going on to the end of the episode and there's just enough hints to the resolution that you want to stick with it to find out what happened. Right. Um, so you, you may, you said that you, you and your partner were pretty clear that you didn't want to do superheroes, but I'm curious if you have uh, favorite superhero comic books that you read growing up that kind of, uh, gave you an interest in comics. Like what was your gateway to comic books growing up? Oh, I would have to say it's Batman, Batman, uh, the world's greatest detective. I mean, you know, as a kid, uh, I fancied myself Bruce Wayne, you know, I thought, uh, <laughs> you know, even though even though I didn't have any, you know, any my parents gunned down in crime alley or anything like that. I always, I always thought of myself as, as like this loner type of kid. And, and, you know, as I grew up, I, I, I made friends and stuff like that. I wasn't, you know, some outcast or anything like that, but, but I always thought, you know, I always thought of myself as a hero, you know, and I, and, 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 and I always wanted to help people and I always wanted to, and I think, you know, I think that that came from, from from Batman and uh, and, and from Spider Man because my brother was uh, a big Marvel fan and he influenced me growing up. Uh, you know he got me the Marvel trading cards and stuff like that. So I, I saw you know uh, uh, I, you know in my, as a, as a young kid you know two different aspects of how to be a hero and ha- and how life can be when you choose you know certain paths. Uh, you know that being Batman and, and one being uh, Spider Man. So it was like it was very intriguing to me that you know two people can can become these two different types of things, but 
still be a hero, and um, and and that always interested me, and that branched me out to you know Green Lantern, Green Arrow, the X Men, um, X Force, all kinds of you know all all these kinds of stories. Uh, I gravitated more towards DC uh, as I got older, just because the stories were a little darker, and mm-hmm. um, and the tone wasn't as light and funny. Uh, but I love what Marvel does, and and I think that even now um, I find myself. You know, sitting on the couch, you know, and I'll and I'll laugh out loud, and my wife will look over and she'll be like, "Oh, he's reading comic books." Um, <laughs> the, and and it's because you know they do it they do it so well. Um, so so yeah, no, I mean, but you know, if I had to choose, if if I had to go to like a you know uh, island in exile away from you know from everybody else, if I had to take one you know comic book with me, it would probably you know a series or something like that it would probably be Batman. I would probably choose you know a gang of Batman books just because. He is the one that 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 really hooked me in and and made me believe that uh you know superheroes were were, were a real thing. It's always interesting where people get their start in comic books. A lot of people have different entry points. Like I'm a I, I was born in the '80s but grew up in the '90s, so you know the X-Men cartoon, the Spider-Man cartoon, the Batman cartoon were heavily influenced as far as my like for superheroes. Though my favorite, of course, was always Wolverine. It was the first comic I ever bought. I remember having that comic with the profile of Wolverine with the eye patch and the claw, the famous cover was my entry to it because he was a guy who just didn't give a shit. He just right. was about himself. And it was just so the opposite of how I was. Cause I was mostly a goody goody and, you know, very well behaved. And so to read about this badass who just didn't take anything from anyone was kind of a nice escape for me. Right. Um, but, uh, so, and so, you, by talking about your backstory for the company, for, for Think Alike, it sounds like you weren't always a writer. You you kind of started that recently with the screenwriting. Did you dabble in writing at all as you were growing up, or is it a, was it a thing that you really came to in adulthood? Yeah, no, I was I was a big nerd in, in that sense where, like, I, I wrote fan fiction for, like, Sequest and, and Star <laughs> Wars, and, and I had composition books full of, like, short stories and, 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 and poetry and and music and, and lyrics for music and stuff like that. I mm-hmm. I always I think I I think I was always an artist in that sense where uh I always wanted to create something. I just I couldn't draw to save my life. I had like this best friend back in middle school, his name was Edward. He used to like draw all the Nickelodeon characters all the time, like Doug mm-hmm. and Tommy Pickles and stuff like that from Rugrats and, and I would always be so jealous because I'm like, man, I wish I could and he would do it you know, he had no training, no nothing. I mean, you know, we, we were always up and down together. It just seemed like this natural gift. And, um, and I was like, man, I wonder what I can do. And I always just had this, this huge imagination. Uh, my brothers were, were way older than me. Um, Mm -hmm. so they never played with me. So it was, it was something where it's like, I would fill up my bathtub and get my Ninja Turtles and my GI Joe's, (laughs) you know, and I'd put them on missions and, you know, my, my mom was always like, Oh my God, the water bill. But I'm like, mom, it's a waterfall. And they're in the, you know, they gotta save, they gotta save April. You know, so I always had like this huge imagination. Um, and I think that, you know, once I started to watch movies, um, that's where, you know, on TV, that's where it really started to spark. And I was like, I was like, somebody wrote this, somebody made this happen. Um, and you know, as, uh, you know, as a little kid, I asked my mom, you know, who, who does that? Who, you know, she's like, Oh, well, there's a writer and, and there's a director. And I think that that's a, as far as her, her knowledge of, of cinema and, and TV went, uh, obviously we know there's tons of more people behind the scenes, but sure. you know, the, the two main ones she knew, she was like a writer and a director. And I was like, well, I want to be the writer, you know? So, so, <laughs> so I started to write, you know, I started to write, like I said, I wrote fan fiction for star Wars and, Sequest and, and and Ninja Turtles and all kinds of stuff that 
you know, I knew nobody, you know, I'd never make, but I always hoped that maybe one day, you know, I'd be able to make my own Ninja Turtle movie or something like that. Um, so, it, you know, it became, it became like this underground, I didn't talk about it, hobby uh, to anyone. You know, uh, outside I played basketball, and when, you know, the lights came on and it was time to come inside, I was, you know, in my room writing. Um, so, and, you know, as I got older, I started to dabble in music, and I did music for about 10 years. Uh, and, you know, I followed that pretty heavily. Um, and then, you know, I kind of moved away. I, I moved to Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, and I moved in with my dad. And I kind of got away from the music and that scene, and, uh, and I kind of started to realize that uh, I still found myself writing. Uh, so when I moved back down to Miami, um, I moved in with my best friend, Roger. And, uh, and you know, I was telling him, man, I really want to do something. I really want to do something. And uh, that Amazon contest popped up. And I was like, let's do this. You know, let's write a zombie movie. You know, I've always wanted to write a zombie book. So, so we did it, you know, and, uh, and yeah, just, it, it, I think it's always followed me. I think writing, cre- creating, uh, you know, just putting these people and situations, uh, you know, together has always fascinated. Nice. Um, uh, I feel like I wouldn't be doing my due diligence as uh, someone who has a music website if I didn't pursue you mentioning that you used to do music. Um, my other podcast that I do is a weekly album review show that I host with two other people, and we take turns picking albums to review of all different genres. And so I always like to try and work music into my interviews because I, be- I believe that music fuels everybody, whether they know it or not. In some way or another, it does intertwine people's lives and passions. But uh, since you said yourself that you were, you were in the music into music for for a while, what kind of first of all, what kind of music was it that you wrote and performed? <laughs> it's, it's probably going to shock anybody who hears this uh, or who doesn't know me. Uh, I was a rapper. I rapped for like ten years. Uh, oh wow! You know, did, yeah. What was, was what was your rap? Was your did you rap under Ruben Romero? Do you have a, a rap name? No, I had a rap name. My rap name was Random. It, it mm-hmm. stood for Rhyme Any Night Day of the Month. So oh, nice. you know, I. I thought I thought of myself as like you know the the, the Latin Eminem you know I was very <laughs> you know not not that I rapped in Spanish but you know I come from a Hispanic background I was born in Venezuela raised by a Cuban mother so sure. you know raised in Miami um, but but yeah no I mean it was it was a big part of my life it was it was pretty much my whole twenties I think I was twenty eight twenty nine when I really decided you know you know I've got you know a handful of mixtapes out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've, I've performed. I've, I've I've gone to battle competitions. I've done everything that I can, and I and I've gotten close, but you know, I'm not there yet. And uh, and there just comes a point in time in life where, like, you don't you know you don't give up on your dreams, but you you have to be realistic with yourself. And, sure. Um, and I thought, you know, who wants to be thirty thirty plus years old recording mixtapes? You know, at, sure. at some point, I want to. To, to make money or to, you know, at least have a chance to have a song on a radio or something, you know? Sure. And, um, and I, and I didn't see that happening. Not, not because I didn't believe in myself, but because, you know what? You, you, if, if you do your due diligence and you, and you put in the work, 99.9% of the time it's going to pay off. 1%, you just, you know, it just doesn't happen. And, and, sure. and you can't account for that 1%, you know, unfortunately. So, you know, there's guys who play football their whole life. The NFL draft comes up, don't get drafted. You know, sure. um, so and they have to go on with their lives. So I, I, I thought of it that way. You know, I, I, I said to myself, you know what, I've, I've been through the fire with with the music, um, but you know, I, I think it's time to move on. And a lot of my friends, you know, uh, my I was in a group called No Cut, and my mm-hmm. partner was uh, 
my partner was very sad to see me go, you know, but um, he's still doing his thing. He's, you know, he's gone to Paris, shot videos, and he's, you know, he's big in Puerto Rico now. And, um, and you know, slowly but surely, he's about to get his break. And, and, and you know what? I attribute that to, to the hard work that he's still putting in. Um, but I just, I, I couldn't do it. You know, I found myself, and again, the, the hip-hop scene, the rap scene is very negative. You know, there's a lot of things going on there that, you know, sometimes as a, as, as a person, you're like, I don't want to be a part of this. You know, I don't want to be, you know, with all these people doing all these other things. And, and, sure. uh, and I just felt, you know, I just felt like I had grown out of it in a way. Um, and I felt like I was meant to do, you know, for something else. It's it's funny how you think that in your twenties you know everything about life and that that you know exactly where you'll be and then when you realize when you hit thirty you realize oh wait I didn't know anything yeah. I didn't know absolutely anything I mean I I currently work for Mozilla the company that behind Mozilla Firefox is my day job and I have my music website um, and two podcasts and if you told me even five years ago that I would have either of those things, I would have looked at you like you had 18 heads, you know? Yeah. Life goes this interesting direction. But I want to tell you, uh, Ruben, that I think that that's really smart, that you, you know, you kept your options open, you knew what you were good at, and so you took a turn to pursue something that you knew that you might be able to move beyond because you felt you weren't move, evolving or moving on with music. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that you were a rapper, though, because uh, as fans of Crash Chords will know, um, the earlier part of this show's lifespan, autographs, I interviewed a lot of rappers in a genre of music called nerdcore, which is heavily focused on rapping about very nerdy things like comic books, movies, and all of that. And um, there are quite a few rappers in that genre who are influenced by mainstream rap and who grew up listening to it and then just took it in a different direction. So if you're ever interested in approaching rap again, I think that's a community you might be able to find a lot of common ground with. Um, yeah, no, you know, I, you know, I love it. I, I, I do. I love it. I, I still love hip hop, and, and even though I think, you know, I listen to my 13 year old son and what he's listening to, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> poor, poor you. You know, like you, you know, I, like you know, said, I was born in the 80s. Uh, you know, in 81, I was raised throughout the 90s. So <clears throat> my wife always say, you know, we're, we're, we're old enough. We were born. We were born in a, in a, in a point in time where things were still, you know. You know, I still had Star Wars on VHS, you know, sure, yeah. and and then I grew up into into beepers and cell phones and flat screen TVs. So we still know what it is to kind of like be old school. And, you know, we all, we're, me and her are always saying our son will never know what it's like to, like, call a girl's house and be like, <laughs> hi, excuse me, may I please speak to so-and-so and have the right. mom be like, who's this? And grill you for like 10 minutes until she passes <laughs> the phone to her daughter. Or her sure. like, hey, you know, whatever the case may be. But, you know, and, and nowadays they just pick up, hey, they text. They're, they're like, what's up? You know, LOL, what's going on? And, 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 and it's a direct line to that person. There's no more of that nervousness. They'll never know what it's like to, to write a love letter and have your, your girl best friend fold it because you can't fold a piece of paper, you know. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's all of those things that, that, that we're going to miss. And, and I feel like hip-hop is the same way. I find myself listening to all my old-school CDs and, and, uh, and not even old-school, just, you know, just rappers like Jay-Z and, and, and Biggie and a sure. track called Quest and, and, and things like that where those, those kind of rappers don't exist anymore. There's very, you know, few out there right now at the moment that I'm like, wow, that guy has a bit of the, of the past in him. Um, sure. And I think when it comes to me, it's funny, the other day I was at my best, at one of my friend's house, uh, 
and his brother was in from New York, and uh, his brother's like 14, 15 years old, and he lives in New York where they like make hip, you know, make rappers like in an oven, and they come out and they're like multi-platinum records so rappers. <laughs> um, and he's like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I started to rap. I've been rapping for like two years, and I was like, all right, let me hear you. And you know, he he freestyled for me, and you know, I gave him some tips on cadence and. And, and how to connect words and, and how to play with words and stuff like that. He's like, let me hear you rap, man. I heard you rap awesome. And I'm like, I'm like, man, if I started rapping to you right now, I'd probably rap about, like, you know, Arrow and how he went against Deathstroke and, you know, <laughs> lost his mom. You know, so I was like, I was like, I'm so far removed from that. I don't think I even have that, that what they call swag anymore. You know, like, I don't, I don't think I have it in me. So, sure. you know, I, I would probably just, even if I was to rap about something nerdy, it would probably just come off like really forced. And I, and I always hated that about when I was a rapper, I always used to dig at other rappers about like, about that, about, you know, forcing themselves to, 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 to be something that they're not, sure. um, or, or to rap about something that they don't know anything about. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy in my, in my desk with my laptop open, you know, and, 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 and writing. <laughs> These comic books, man. I, you know, this is where I, this is where I, I find my home. Uh, it, it, it brings me a, a certain kind of peace. And, and you know, again, you know, I just I just want to continue creating, continue writing. So, sure, of course. Um, I guess my next question is in relation to music. Um, is when you find yourself writing, do you put music on in the background to kind of inspire you or get your mind going, or do you find music more distracting when you're trying to write? I, I try not to. Uh, I, I try not to listen to anything. I try to, you know, make sure that the TV is off, you know, everybody's in bed. Uh, I do a lot of my writing at night. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, Todd McFarlane always talks about how he listens to this one song over and over again. Uh, I try not to do it because I, I, I find myself either singing along to the music or getting lost in the music, um, which is something that, that I that I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Um so I think, you know, when it comes to music, it, it's probably like a, se- a secondary thing for me. I'll probably, uh, if when it comes to writing a script or something like that, I will think of songs or something that w- would fit into the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But when, I, when it comes to writing comics, um, I try to do it, you know, alone uh, in the dark, even though that sounds really weird. But, um, but, <laughs> but there's, there's nothing bad going on. I'm just writing. Um, but, but, yeah, I, I, I try to keep it quiet. I try to center my mind. Um, I'm a very, uh, I don't like to use ADD because it is what it is. Everybody says they have ADD, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very easily distracted, I guess. Mm-hmm. So if, uh, my mind is always in, in, in a bunch of different places. So I think that if I, if I had music on, like I said, I would probably just be singing along or, or getting lost into the song. So I try to keep it as quiet as possible when I'm writing. Gotcha. Um, the next question, sort of relating back to uh, the agency and how it fits that kind of spy genre, and uh, a lot of those spy movies, when they would come out, always had like a main theme, and every year it was written by a different artist. If there could be a main theme for the agency, you know, like the theme for the for the agency, that could be written by any artist or musician. Who do you think you would want to write that song about the agency? Um. Probably, uh, if it, if it was a vocal theme, it would uh-huh. probably be Lana Del Rey. Uh, Lana Del Rey, uh, just has this crazy voice, and I think that she could probably, you know, find her way, you know, if she can read the first volume of the agency, I'm sure she could come up with something hypnotic, something, uh, not bondish, you know, uh, um, right. but, but, but something along that, that line. Um, if it was orchestrated, if it was just like an orchestra theme or something like that, um, my heart is with John Williams. I would love John <laughs> Williams 
to to do something like that for us. Um, it's not, uh, you know, Hans Zimmer. Uh, I think it's uh, Junkie XL. I think it's Junkie Beat or Junkie XL. I know he does. Mm-hmm. He does. Uh, he works with Hans. Um, so you know, one of those guys. But John Williams would be, you know, my all time. Like if he if he did the theme for for the agency movie, I would probably I wouldn't even make it to the premiere. My I would die of like heart palpitations meeting him. Like it would just be crazy. I feel like that's most nerdy people. If you're a nerdy person and a fan of music, that's kind of your go-to for orchestration is John Williams since he's kind of done everything at this point and is still doing it since he's still alive. He will be doing the scoring for all three of the new Star Wars movies. I know. I'm 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 so excited about that. Like my house is done in like Force Awakens, Star Wars, black series and like you know i I just got disney infinity 3.0 so i've got all the little star wars feet. my wife is like she was like it looks like a toy store a toy store threw up in here and i was like you wanted to marry me you get all this stuff along with the package this is this is what it's about all right this, this is what it is uh so yeah no i'm so excited i mean i i cried and 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 i mean not like sobbed but i i dropped like two or three tears at the second trailer uh, of Star Wars The Force Awakens, and she was like, are you serious right now? And I'm like, you have no idea what this means to me. Like, this movie changed my life. Um, so, so, and to see, you know, as much as the prequels get a ton of flack, I, I, I you know, I love them. I get past the CGI, sure. and I, I get past Jar Jar, all of the stuff that people gripe about. And I, and I really, you know, get to the meat of the story, which is, you know, between Palpatine and, and Anakin and, 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 and him kind of going full circle and, and becoming Darth Vader. Uh, so I appreciate those movies, but I always wondered what happened afterwards as a kid. Sure. I, mo- most of my fan fiction was based on that, what what happened after the Battle of Endor. Um, and then, you know, I, of course, I became a huge fan of the, the expand, you know, the expanded universe. And, and uh, I read most of the Timothy Zahn books and, um, and then it was, you know, it kind of crushed my heart to find out that Disney was like, okay, well, that's legacy stuff. That stuff didn't really happen. You can enjoy those books, but that didn't really happen. And now they've got this whole new canon, which I'm, you know, diving into headfirst, of course. Um, sure. But, yeah, no, I mean, all that stuff is just, I'm, I'm so excited and so happy that John Williams is doing the music because who else? You know, who are you then? You know, Danny Elfman, that's who, you know, you couldn't get Danny Elfman to do it. So <laughs> you got to get John. You got to bring John back. So I was sure. really happy to hear that he was going to do it. Yeah, I feel like with The Force Awakens, it was one of those things in the very beginning, like anyone else who grew up, who was born in the 80s and grew up in the 90s, was, you know, a little worried about a new set of Star Wars movies considering what happened with the prequels and, and how they weren't the best quality of movie. Um, but I think after that second trailer, dropped and you know um harrison ford as han solo says chewie we're home like anyone who has any star wars bone or nerd bone in their body shed a tear that day because it's yeah. just he's saying it to everybody you know if you grew up with that stuff it's it, oh, it's yeah. big to you and and there's oh, nothing bigger no not at all not at all there's you know i tell my wife i was like there's star wars and then there's everything else yeah, exactly. She's like, oh, well, what about what about Lord of the Rings? And I'm like, it's you know, she was like, Lord of the Rings is way before Star Wars. That book was written way, before. and I was like, okay, yes, but cinematically, Star Wars changed everything. Yep. You know, I mean, it, it changed the game. And and you know, again, if if Star Wars hadn't been made, who knows what we'd be seeing in the movie theaters now? You know, nowadays. So it, to me, it's like I can tell her Star Wars, and then everything else. She's a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I converted her 
Finally, sure. uh, I got her to sit down and watch all six Star Wars, and she was like, oh, wow, I see where you're coming from now. Um, but, yeah, no, and, you know, I knew from, from the minute that, that Disney bought, uh, bought, bought Lucasfilm uh, and, and they said that they were going to make, new, new, you know, more Star Wars movies, um, I said, there's only one guy for the job. And, and, and she was, my wife was like, who's that? And I was like, J.J. Abrams. I was like, sure. there's nobody else that can, that can do it. I mean, Steven Spielberg, possibly, maybe he can do it. I was like, but but if there's any newcomer, any new schooler that can take that universe and and run with it and give us back what we're missing as Star Wars fans is J.J. Abrams. And and it killed me the first time, you know, because he passed on it. Um, But then I guess Captain Kennedy showed up to his house with like 10 dump trucks full of money. I was like, hey, listen, this is all for you. We just need you to direct Star Wars. And uh, and he said, yes. And as soon as he came on board, even before the first trailer, the first, even set picks, I was like, it's in great hands. I was like, I have no worries whatsoever. So, uh, you know, I think that they've done an amazing job at, at putting together a creative team uh, for those movies. And um, and even the directors that they've chosen to to uh, kind of carry the baton after J.J. Abrams between, uh, yeah. I think it's like Ryan Johnson and uh, somebody else I can't remember. Oh, oh and Colin Terranoff, Terranoff, Jurassic World guy, that guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that, you know, those two guys, I think, you know, even after people – Again, had their gripes about Jurassic World. I went to Jurassic World opening night, and I left there like like I was transported back in time into 1993, leaving Jurassic Park. It just sure. it gave me that feeling. I don't know about anybody else. I know a lot of people had, you know, a lot of people were like, "Yeah, whatever." And I I loved it. I I thought it was amazing, and uh, and I thought uh, Colin. I won't say his last name so I don't butcher it, but I thought the director of the movie, <laughs> um, he did an amazing job with it, and. Uh, and you know, it doesn't ha- it doesn't hurt having Steven Spielberg in your ear and helping you and stuff like that. Sure. But but again, I just felt like I just feel like those guys they're gonna give us they're gonna give us great great Star Wars movies. Uh, Rogue One looks looks excellent so far from you know just down from the cast to mm-hmm. to the story, the scope of the movie. Um, so I, I'm excited. It's it's a great time to be a nerd uh, uh, nowadays. You know the, the the movies and the things that are coming out. It's like it's just this amazing feeling. So, sure. I mean, if you told me when I was a kid that I was not only going to get Marvel movies, but good Marvel movies that had an interlocking um, universe between separate brands, but same, you know, like I would have never imagined that. You know, when of course when we all saw the first X Men movie, we all wanted that. We wanted everything to be connected. We wanted Spider Man to show up, and now we're getting closer to having that happen with all the franchises, and it's just. It's, it's interesting. Movies have never existed in that structure before on such a broad scale. It's very interesting to see now. Yeah. No. Now you've got every every movie studio with with a, with a budget trying to create these interlocking franchises, these, sure. these big scoped you know worlds, uh, and it's almost like the new way to make a movie. Uh, you know, you can't you can't greenlight a movie unless there's you know four or five planned out. And spin-offs that that connect into this thing. So you know, even Harry Potter's getting in with it with with Fantastical Beasts and Where to Find Them, uh, which I always figured she would come back to to the table and 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 have to do because you know there, there's a fandom out there that wants more is is are the Potter fans. Um, so so I think that you know again, <clears throat> yeah, just like you, I I never thought when I was a kid that we'd ever get these things, and and now sitting there and and watching Thanos you know, open up that vault and put on the gauntlet and, and say that he's going to do it himself. And, and we, we know it's coming because we've read the books. 
Uh, sure. And they do a good job at, at changing some things, but we know the badassery that's about to happen. And, uh, and again, same thing, chills go up my spine thinking about, you know, Superman and Batman going toe-to-toe, you know, and Wonder Woman being in disguise, and, you know, who knows how she's going to reveal herself as, as, as Wonder Woman and, and what DC is doing uh, with the Suicide Squad. You know, so all these things is like, it's, and like I said, it's just, just a great time to be a nerd, uh, be a geek, and be a, be a lover of all things, you know, comic book related and, and science fiction related. Yeah, I definitely couldn't agree more. Um, you know, and, and like anything else, you get the hilariously bad stuff as well as the really good stuff. You just got to mm-hmm. work your way through it like anything else. Um, right. I feel like this is a good point to steer us back towards comic books. Um, so I did mention earlier in the interview, you have a second comic that you work on uh, called Pray for Angels. So right. wh- where did the inspiration for this comic come from? And uh, did, which one came first? Did a- the agency come first and then Pray for Angels? Yeah, the agency The agency was our what, what we call our flagship book, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we started Thinking Like Productions, we – we really did it so that we could have our own home. We didn't envision ourselves to become this uh, independent publishing house. We we did it so that, you know, I always thought, I was like, well, there's always a little, you know, publisher's box. I was like, well, you know, what are we going to do? Um, and, and like I said, we, you know, we pitched it to Image. We pitched it to several places. Um, and, and we got a lot of positive feedback. Um, but unfortunately, there is this sort of independent guild, as, you know, I guess is the word for it that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that unless you've worked for Marvel or DC or, or IDW, you know, it's hard to crack, you know, these, you know, crack image specifically because if you're an independent creator, where else do you want to be other than image? To be honest, they do great work. They've got a ton of great creators, a ton of great stories. Um, but it just seems like, you know, it's not like they're going out, you know, there's no more Robert Kirkman's. They're not plucking people from the streets. And again, Robert Kirkman had worked at Marvel way before he did The Walking Dead and, and, and things like that. So, so again, uh, or right after, you know, where Walking Dead started to pick up fame, you know, in the underground, I think Marvel plucked him for, for, for Marvel zombies and stuff like that and Ant-Man, uh, irredeemable Ant-Man. Um, so, you know, you, you get lucky. You get these breaks. And unfortunately, we, we, we didn't do that. We, we just went full gusto and we said, you know what, we're going to create our own comic book. And, um, and, uh, and again, yeah, the agency came first. That's our flagship comic book. And, um, and we picked up a, uh, you know, we call him our executive producer, uh, right hand man, Obi-Wan Kenobi. His name is ben. <laughs> so, so that's what we call him Kenobi. Um, and, uh, basically he's just a, a businessman, uh, somebody who, who grew up, uh, was born in, uh, in Paris and grew up in LA and, uh, you know, went to school and worked in New York and moved down to uh, Miami and just by this, you know, weird luck ended up in the same office as my wife and um, they hit it off, as, you know, and, and, and she was like, she was like, oh, so what do you do in your spare time? She's like, oh, I'm a writer and my husband, you know, he creates comics. He was like, comic books. He was like, no, oh, tell me about it. So, you know, she tells him about it and little did she know, he is a, a film investor on, on in his spare time. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, he had done a uh, – he had just finished coming back from uh, Cannes, Cannes Film Festival from, for this movie that they did uh, called Severe Clear that uh, was just uh, was just on Netflix. They're, they're working on getting it back on Netflix and Hulu. Uh, but it was on there for like two years. Um, and uh, it was kind of like this found footage uh, war movie uh, perspective of like uh, the war in Iraq and stuff like that. It's a really cool movie. And um, and he was like, oh, well, you know, I'm working with this writer. His name is Christian Fraga. He was like, um, he was like, he's got this really cool idea 
for a, a retelling of the Jack the Ripper story. And I was, and my wife adores, I know this sounds weird, adores <laughs> serial killers. Like she, uh, I tell her all the time, I said, if you could go back in time and, you know, be a good kid, uh, you would have, you, you know, you would have gone to college and you would have became, you, you would have become a, an FBI profiler or a CIA profiler and hunt down and hunted down these criminals because she's obsessed, like books lined with serial killers and she devours crime library and stuff like that. And she loves true crime, like the genre of true crime. Um, so the minute that he said that, she was like all ears. And she was like, well, tell me about it. And he told her the story and, um, and she was like, man, that would make a cool comic book. And he was like, well, you know, it's, it's going to be a movie and, you know, I don't think the writer wants to go that route. He was like, but I'll talk to him. I'll talk to him. And, uh, and you know, it took a few months. You know, we, he, he came on board with the agency, and he helped us He helped us uh, fund issues three through five, and he, he solidified himself as a member of Think Like Productions and started to go to cons with us and, and started to see, like, this is a huge business. Like, like people really do love comic books. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think that that's what kind of tipped him over the edge. So he took a flight to New York and sat down with Christian and um, the, the writer of the screenplay, and I was like, look, listen, he was like, what if I, you know, as, you know, besides obviously investing in the film, what if, what if I give you, you know, what if you, what if we work out a deal for the rights of the comic book, uh, for the, for a comic book version of the film? And Christian was like, yeah, sure, do it. Um, he was, you know, so there was some stipulations in there uh, as far as like, you know, the story and things that we could change, things that we couldn't change. Um, to, to say the least, it was it was my first time actually dealing with, with you know, collaboratively speaking, dealing with people outside of my circle, sure. um, and uh, and um, you know, I, I was I was able to take the script and adapt it into five issues, which was no easy task whatsoever. Um, but but yeah, no, I mean, I think that you know, I can't say too much about it. All I can say is that it is this sort of mystery uh, yarn, as Christian likes to call it, so something that will unravel. With, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the five issues, um, uh, and that it centers around the Jack the Ripper mythology and, you know, uh, people who love Jack the Ripper will, will be able to, to, to sink their teeth into this because there's a lot of like actual facts and things, you know, when we talk about the Jack the Ripper murders and things that he had done, um, you know, it's, there, there's actual fact there. There's not, you know, anything made up or anything like that. But what goes around it, you know, and what makes up Pray for Angels, uh, is 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 bread meat. It's something that 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 has never been done with the Jack the Ripper story. Um, so yeah, I was I was excited. You know, they they told me about it, and I was like, let me you know, let, let's do it. Um, so so I sat down with with Christian, and like I said, we 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 kind of mapped out the script, and it went through changes because he changed the script uh, a few times for 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 different reasons. Movies tend to you know, go through these these metamorphoses while they're while they're trying to get budget right and actors sure. and cast people. So they you know they made changes and so therefore the comic book would change and things would change in the book and and I'll have to go back and readapt and and, and just you know change some things around. Um, but um, but it's a beautifully beautifully put together book. So Jod Shaw is the artist, amazing guy. Uh, if you don't know him, look him up on Instagram, look him up on Facebook. I mean, this guy is a hop skipping away from. Marvel and DC. This guy is definitely going to do some 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 great books in the future. I'm I'm almost positive he's already done a great book in Pray for Angels. Um, sure. And uh, it's colored by George Cortez, wonderful kid out of uh, out of New Mexico. Uh, great talent. Found him on Facebook. Met him through again Bob Sally. 
somebody who just he, Bob, Bob is the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, he's like, <laughs> he's uh, my wife says he's my new best friend because we're always on the phone together, uh, texting sure. back and forth. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, through him and through our circle, uh, I think like we've been able to expand and, and open up like, you know, this this whole gate, you know, this gateway to to different talent and different people. And hey, look, I, I got this T-shirt guy, and hey, look, I got this colorist, and look, I, you know, I just met this artist. So we're we're constantly you know, just going back and forth and, and helping each other out and, and being each other's crutches. You know, sometimes as, as an independent creator, you kind of, you lose steam. And sometimes sure. you need, you know, that push. And uh, I think we're there to provide that for each other. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm, you know, back to Pray for Angels, it's, it's, it's been a wonderful experience. We just wrapped up the fifth issue. I got the cover of the trade a couple of days ago uh, that we're going to be premiering the, the trade paperback, all five issues, uh, at New York Comic Con. And, oh, that's uh, and I'm, I'm I'm really excited about it. I mean, it's just it's just really really exciting stuff. Yeah, it's funny. I talked to when I had Bob on the podcast. Um, we talked about how collaborative comic book creating can be now because of the internet and the access you have to reaching out to people. So, you know, whereas back in the day, if you wanted to make a comic book, everyone had to be local. You had to be able to print it. You had to physically be able to put it out. But now, between technology and the accessibility of the Internet, you can find people all over the world to collaborate with oh, yeah. and then put it out digitally, which I think is fantastic. If comics were digital when I was growing up, I probably would have had a lot more. I would have right. an endless supply of them, you know, whereas <laughs> now it's, it's, it's almost overwhelming because you don't even know where to start. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just interesting how that kind of access because of the Internet has made things so much better. Um, you know, it's the same for podcasting. Like, I podcasting is essentially radio on the internet, which is not a thing right. I ever thought I'd be doing. But now because of the connectivity and the networking and how easy it is to do, you can really meet and talk to some interesting people, which is why it was a no-brainer for me to start an interview show and right. to branch out from not just interviewing musicians because there are so many people who are interested or have a connection to music that may not necessarily be musicians. Right. Um, um, we had actually two animators, two cartoonists on our main show podcast, Ed Reynolds and Chuck Collins. Chuck Collins does a comic called Bounce about a bouncer in New York, and it has this really awesome over-the-top story, and Ed Reynolds does something called Fermented Zen, which takes place in a real fictional bar uh, in New York, and uh, they came on the main show and talked about music, and it kind of gave me this eyes-open look into the comic book creating in a modern age, and so it's just, I find it fascinating, because now I'm so excited about salvagers I got sucked into and now I have another book to look forward to and go after between Pray for Angels and the Agency. It's just so awesome to discover this stuff that you had no idea was out there. Right. right now, uh, and, and again, I, I tell my son all the time, I'm like, you can do anything that you want nowadays. You guys have it so much, not easier because again, there's so much competition and, and you know, everybody, you know, he wants to do the next big thing. But sure. if you want to do it, like, you know, he was telling me the other day, he was like, well, you know, when I get my Xbox, I, I want to do like a game chat, my own YouTube channel. I want to show people how to mm-hmm. go through the levels and stuff. I was like, you can do it. I was like, you can do it. I was like, Absolutely. you know, you bring me home good grades. You can do whatever you want, you know. But, uh, but, but, yeah, you know, he's like, oh, how do I do it? And, I'm, you know, we looked it up and I showed him. He was like, oh, you need to buy me this. And, and I was like, all right. I was like, no problem. That's what you want to do? Let's do it. Because, again, why not? Like you said, you know, five years ago, I was, you know, you, you didn't know you were going to be doing this, but now because of the connectivity and the way that things are, you can do it. So it's yeah. like, why not? You know? So 
I'm a big, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big why not guy. You know, I'm like, oh, you know, oh, you want to do that? Why not? Go do it. You know, yeah. why not do it? And you know, the worst that can happen is either a nobody hears you or nobody listens to you, or or b something something amazing can happen, and and you can you know you can develop a love, a passion that that that's already there. You can that, that can flourish, and it could be even bigger than what you thought it was going to be. So so why not? There's something super supportive and understanding about the indie community, like whether it's indie comics, indie music, or like I, my website is very independent. You know, it's all me and my friends. It's just us. We don't have sponsors. We don't have anybody paying for us. Um, Just this idea that when you know somebody else who's, you know, getting stuff done and is in the trenches and doing it themselves, that kind of brings you closer together. This idea that I interviewed Bob and he recommended you to me and, like we have connections now. Of course, I would tell you if anyone else from any that you talk to at conventions wants to do an interview about comic books or anything, I'm happy to talk to them. But it's just the independent creators. I feel like are more more open to connectivity and networking than anybody else because you know that that's how you get yourself out there is by yeah. word of mouth, by connecting with somebody. I think it's just fascinating how quickly those communities grow when they all support each other. You know, right, right, and I think that that's what what the mainstream is lacking. I mean, you know, just the other day, you know, a couple of well-known writers, I won't even get into the names, but they got into a Twitter war, like an open public Twitter war. And it's like, these are guys who, who are established, who are in the industry, who have been in the industry for years and years and years. And, 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 and they're going at each other's throats. And I don't understand it. You know, I, I, I just, and it, and it seems like to me, it's just about recognition. And I think that in the, in, in the independent market, I think that even just the slightest bit of recognition is is so fulfilling to, to, to the independent creator that if somebody else comes along, it's not a threat. It's more like, what can I learn from you? What can you learn from me? What can we do together? And, sure. you know, not everybody's like that. You know, I go to conventions and there's, trust me, I, you know, I, you know, excuse the French, there's, there's assholes everywhere. Sure. Um, but, but uh, and I've met my fair share since we started the agency, you know. Uh, you know, I had a I had a guy one time come up and be like, "Oh, uh, how much are you paying for colors?" And I, well, I'm, I'm paying this for me. He said, "Oh, you're paying too much. Now, why full color? You know, independent book. You know, you do a black and white book. You know, it's cheaper." And I'm like, and I'm like, "Why are you t- you know Why are you coming at me like this? Like, why aren't you just saying, hey, look, you're doing a great job. Right. Move on. You know, why are you why are you why are you downplaying my situation? Like, like you're not paying for my colors. You know, you didn't, you know, you didn't come up with the agency. Why are you, why do you even have an opinion about why it's full color or not full color? You know, so, so again, you know, I think that, you know, you're, you're going to find those people who are going to try to throw up walls and, and hurdles and, 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 and try to trip you up. But I've always been one that I'm like, you know what, I guess that's that hip hop mentality where it's just like, I got to be the best. And, but even in my search to be the best, I, I, I still am, am humble, uh, humble enough to the point where, you know, I tell Bob, I tell Bob, and, and even my other creators, uh, Alex Lobato, who does uh, Max Hunter. Uh, and, you know, I, I tell him, like, man, you guys got great books. You guys are, you, you guys got amazing books. And sometimes I'll read their books, and I'm like, man, this is, this second issue is way better than the second issue of the agency, or this this cover is, is so much better than the agency's cover. You know, but it makes you it makes you want to step your game up. It makes you want to be just as good as they are and be on the same pedestal. And I think that that's that that's a good thing. It's healthy competition. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, the independent community, uh, is, is an amazing community. You know, I have a, I have a, uh, a, a kid who, who, who does reviews as a review website. Uh, and I say a kid, but he's, he's like in his early twenties. Um, and he's putting a book together and every now and then he'll, he'll, you know, message me on Facebook. He'll be like, Hey man, 
what do you think about this? And what do you think? And I think it's so funny because it's like, wow, this person, you know, saw me at a con, saw me in my booth, saw me selling, reviewed my books, liked the books, and sees me as like this established comic book creator. And sure. now is coming, you know, and has a line to me. So now he's, you know, using that line for advice and for, you know, for, for encouragement. And I, and I, and, you know, and, and of course I encourage you. I'm like, no, whatever you need, you, you come to me, you talk to me. Um, and, uh, and, and I've done that with, with quite a few creators. Um, so it's like, it's like, yes, we, we, we're, you know, I don't think we all sit around holding hands singing Kumbaya, but we are, uh, a very accepting community. We, we are a very loving community. And, and I think that we're out there to see each other grow. And I think that when one of us succeeds, we all succeed. So I think that that's why we do it, because I think that, that, that we all know that that even at the end of the day, if Bob were to get picked up, you know, as far as, like, if somebody would come and say, hey, how do I make Salvadors a movie? I would be elated for him. You know, I sure. would, it would be something that, you know, why? Because I got to be a part of that, you know? I got to be a part of that. And even if they don't even ever make an agency movie and they just make a Salvages movie or they make a Max Hunter movie or a Sakura movie or just like Pray for Angels next year goes to uh, Budapest to go shoot, you know, that's not my movie. I didn't write that. I just adapted the screenplay. But guess what? I'm going to be super happy. Why? Because I got to be a part of that. Um, sure. and, and again, I think that, that that all comes back full circle on some, you know, positive zen, you know, you do good, pay it forward type of thing where, you know, you do something for somebody nice, something else is going to come back to you nice. So, it's, so, so to me, it's, it's really just about remaining humble, but keeping that fire, that passion, that drive to want to be the best. And I think that that's something I think of like, you know, you can go down the stable of the, you know, we have very few books. I know that there's a lot of independent publishers out there who've got 20 plus, 30 plus, 40 plus books. We've got very few books right now, uh, very few titles, but we're all in our first trade paperback uh, stages, we, and uh, and we're continuing to grow. Uh, and you and and if you read the stories and if you look at the art, I, I think that you can tell what why Think Alike is 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 where we are right now in the short time that we've been around. And it's because we we set a bar, and that bar was high, and we knew that. But that's exactly what we wanted to do. We didn't want to put out subpar books. We didn't want to tell subpar stories. And we definitely didn't want you looking at subpar art. So, you know, that's what we set out to do. We set out to give you great books, great stories, great art, stuff that you can, you know, read, reread, and, and continue reading uh, into the future. I don't think I could have said it better myself. Um, <laughs> before, we, before we wrap up, um, where can my audience, who are currently listening as we speak, uh, find your your stuff um website social media runoff give them the whole regular remote remote where they All can right. find your stuff my, my shameless plug time um okay let's start uh you can you can find us on facebook all you got to do is uh search think alike productions if you search think alike productions you'll see a light bulb with the initials tap inside of it uh you can go ahead and follow us there give us a like uh through there uh, you could probably find all of our individual pages for our comic books like The Agency, Salvagers, Max Hunter, Sakuro, Pray for Angels. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at Think Alike Pro. Uh, you can find us on Instagram as Think Alike Productions. Um, and, yeah, that's that's about it. Uh, well, actually, uh, you can visit our website. Our website is www.thinkalikeproductions.com. And then we have a really cool interactive website for the agency 
where it's kind of like you're sitting at the console of an of uh, of the International Agency of Magic, like inside the building, where you can like go through files of agents and and and, and dark mages and stuff like that, and find out more about characters. Uh, and that's uh, theagencycomicbook.com. Uh, so yeah, I mean you you know you can you can find us all through all that stuff. Great. Thank you so much, Ruben, for taking the time to chat with me. It's been no, nah, man. Thank you for interview. having me, brother. Thank you, and uh, and you can you know you you can call on me whenever you need me. I appreciate that. Um, this will probably go up. I believe this will go up this coming Tuesday. Um, although okay. if the, when the audience is listening, it'll be Tuesday. Um, and also, if you and Bob find yourself in New York for Comic Con, I live in New York. I would love to meet you guys in person and then grab a drink or grab dinner. So if you guys are here for for New York Comic Con, definitely give me a shout. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely, you know, I'm I'm definitely going to New York Comic Con. Bob, unfortunately, had some, you know, had some things come up, couldn't make okay. it, uh, which is a, a heartbreaking for me because again, I wanted to meet him face to face. We've never met face to face. Oh wow! So, uh, so you know, but we have this really, you know, this this strong kind of brother relationship. Like I said, my wife, she's like, that's your that's your your best friend. Um, so when he told me he wasn't coming to Comic Con, I was like, oh man, I was totally bummed. But but yeah, we're gonna be there, man. We're we're debuting the agency trade paperback and pray for angels trade paperback form. We're giving away a, a PlayStation Four uh, Arkham Knight bundle. The, wow. the PlayStation has like the Batman silhouette on it. It's a, like a limited edition. Uh, so yeah, no, we're we're doing big things. And and yeah, no, I'll I'll, I'll shoot you an email uh, a couple of days before we leave to New York so we can set something up. And and are are you going to the con at all, or are you missed out on? Uh, Unfortunately, I missed out on tickets this year. I used to get press passes for Crash Course, right. but since they made the press pass path more difficult, uh, it's mm-hmm. been harder since it's, we're only a music website. Um, I'm trying to branch out. I'm hoping maybe if I submit next year with interviews with comic book artists or and, and writers, rather, that'll help get me a press pass next year. But, uh, but no, I won't be at the show. But if you guys want to meet up for drinks or dinner or something at, at some point while you're in town, I would love to. Sounds good, bro. Sounds good. Right. Definitely. Thanks for your time, Ruben. Thank you right. so much, brother. Take care. Take Bye. If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.